Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. Well, we're going to the Menominee Valley this week on Urban Spelunking. We're not allowed to say. And there are some secrets that we're going to uncover. In fact, we're actually, we're not going to uncover the secrets because they're so secret, we couldn't even really talk about them or even learn about them. The best, Right. That's the best part of the secrets is I can't give them away because they wouldn't even tell me what they were. We don't even know. All right. right. So this is a, a building that I think we could file under. Who would ever have known that this existed in Milwaukee? And, uh, I mean, talk about just a unique collection, unique things inside this building. We think. As far as we know. We have every reason to believe that. So this is Guardian Fine Arts Services and the Warehouse. This is on St. Paul and 17th in the Menominee Valley. And it's a storage facility for fine art and other high-value collectibles and, and things. Yeah, so it's a 1920s warehouse building that okay. uh, the owner tells me perfectly suited their needs to basically create a temperature-controlled, uh, humidity-controlled, extremely safe bunker for stuff. Yes. Right? For, like, basically the things that people collect, right? So imagine, like, a self-storage unit, yes. but, like, for very valuable things. Yes, and there's and it's sort of self-storage, but also it's also sort of not, you know what I mean? There's two different, ki- you can buy two different kinds yeah. of storage. One is a storage that you're basically free to, go in yourself and deal with your stuff and leave, um, you know, take it out or look at it, whatever, whatever you do with your valuable stuff. <laughs> uh, but there's also um, a version of these storage rooms uh, where you can basically have their staff, which is like these are all trained um, conservators, uh, curators. I mean, they're, they're, it's not just like Joe Schmo, like carting your stuff around. <laughs> these, are, these are experts that, who know uh, about how to care for you know, objects on paper, sculptures, paintings, um, all kinds of stuff. And they told me in vague terms that, you know, the the kinds of things that could be in a building like this would be people's fine art collections of all kinds. Sure. Again, paintings, drawings, sculpture. There are people who store, you know, collect firearms, like sort of rare, you know, old antique firearms. That might be kind of a kind of thing that would be in there. Um the one thing they did say was there, but I couldn't see, was that somebody has a collection of really, really rare early rock and roll concert posters. Oh, cool. That were printed on pretty fragile paper because they were meant to be just sort of disposable. You hung them up, and then when the gig was over, they didn't care what happened to them. But this person has apparently collected really pristine copies of these things and keeps them there because this person knows that in that sort of facility that's climate controlled, light controlled, humidity controlled, all that, that they will last longer there. When you drive by this building, I mean, you would have no idea that there are probably millions of dollars worth of artwork and really rare things inside this building. Exactly. I just made up the millions, but yeah. I mean, you would never know that there's this this fine art storage facility there in the middle of the Menominee Valley. It doesn't really speak to that from the outside. It's a cool building, but you would never know. And I just love the mystery that this whole thing is shrouded in. I mean, when you went on the tour, they they couldn't really even let you take pictures of some of the areas because yeah, it's so I, secretive. Yeah, I had to ask first. You know, like usually I go into a place, I'm just like snap, 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 snap. And then I look at it later and decide what I want to right. use. But here I was like, can I take a picture of that? Like, yes. Can I take a picture of that? Yes, if you don't get the security camera. You know, like 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 being in a casino. You know how when you're in the casino, you can't take pictures if you're going to get any of the security stuff in there. Oh, okay. So same sort of thing. 
Um, this place, super secure. I'd say that it, it's sort of ironic that they even want to talk about it. Like you would think they wouldn't want people to know. They must be confident of the security of it. It's also like it's a TSA approved um, place. So they can crate up artwork there and ship it somewhere else without it having to go through security to be checked again. All right, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back with more Urban Spelunking. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out your donor benefits and the thank you gifts to show off your 88.9 pride. And we're back on Urban Spelunking at Guardian Fine Art Services and the Warehouse in the Menominee Valley. So why would somebody store their things here? Is it is it because of the security and because of the climate? Is that the idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is, um, I mean, that's that's entirely it. It's, it's the security of all kinds. You know, the, the security that it wouldn't get stolen, the security that it won't get damaged, the security that it will be preserved in, a, in an atmosphere, in a climate-controlled facility. Um, but also they have access to it. You know, so like if you had something that you, a collection of something that you love, but you would be leery of keeping it in your house, um, for all those reasons we just mentioned, right, yeah. you could keep it there and then you can go, uh, if it's rare books or something, you can go look at the books that are there or you could go and right. take one and bring it home and then bring it back, that sort of thing. And, um, and they wouldn't exactly say who is storing things for obvious reasons, but they kind of hinted that, you know, museums, it's it's private citizens, it's institutions, mm-hmm. anybody that really would have access to anything very, very valuable that needs to be stored yeah. could potentially store it there. Yeah, and they said that, I was surprised to hear that, like, Museums, but they said, you know, a lot of museums are challenged for space. So right. when their space overflows, they rent some space to store things there. Also, traveling exhibitions often have layovers. Like it might, an, an exhibition might end at a Milwaukee museum and not need to be in its next stop for three weeks. And maybe that receiving museum doesn't have space to store it, you, right. know, you know, in the interim. So it would come to a place like this where it would be stored as sort of, on a sort of short term basis. I always think about, you know, when a museum gets a new exhibit in town, like when the art museum is welcoming a traveling exhibit, I think about the responsibility that these folks have who are actually handling the artwork and putting it on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we only think about it at the museum level, but there's this whole other, you know, kind of hidden network of of handlers and curators and conservators that are also responsible for the long-term storage of these things. I can imagine people feel the the kind of the weight and the responsibility of, oh yeah, you know, we're dealing with some really priceless well, One-of-a-kind things. Yeah, and I think that's why Guardian, a place like Guardian would get something like this TSA approval because it just means that many fewer chances for something to get damaged, right? I mean, if I have a painting and I want to ship it to you, if they can package it professionally there and it doesn't have to get unpacked until it reaches you, it's likely going to be safer than if it has to go to customs and they have to open it up and they have to take everything out. Now, are they going to put it back in as safely as they took, you know, as as it was before they took it out? Um that becomes an issue. So they have actually, this place has an on-site uh, carpentry shop where they build um, crates and they shipping crates for the, for these kinds of things, like wow. very specialized crates to protect them in travel. It does make you wonder like how people learn, just learn this field. It seems so specialized and narrow, you know, that there's, there's a guy or, or, or I assume a guy, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, a... he was a guy. Yeah. He's a guy. Okay. Just the fact that there's a person there on staff whose job it is to, you know, custom fabricate these crates 
to move these precious pieces of artwork. I mean, that's such a specialized job. It's very fascinating. Yeah, and I'm sure you learn it from from doing it, and you yeah. learn it from somebody who already knows how to, it's the kind of thing where it's passed along, like a trade that's passed along. But also, you know, the the staff that works there is trained in, you know, museum uh, management and operations and stuff, so they've learned and you know, the proper way to do this kind of thing. And so as a team, they work together to make sure it happens. So what was in this building for the decades previous? I mean, this this Guardian business has been there for about five years. What was going on for all the years beforehand? Well, it was built in the 20s by um, a Pittsburgh company called Standard Sanitary Supply. Okay. um, Which was, they sold plumbing fixtures and things like that. Toilets, sinks, pipes, like just all kinds of plumbing stuff. Because the building is kind of, uh, I dare say, over-engineered. I mean, it's a really sturdy building with it's, these cement yeah. pillars in the basement. So whoever built the building, did they need to have this, this I, sturdy? I think so, because they were storing, I mean, they were warehousing this heavy stuff. You yeah. know, pipes and sinks and bathtubs and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and what's interesting is that when I went there, they told me that they thought um, that there was a twin. Like that in uh, in Pittsburgh, which is where the company was based, that there was another building like the one in Milwaukee. And what I found was that not only is there basically a twin in Pittsburgh, there's another building that's um, even more twin-like um, in Indianapolis. Okay. Um, and there were build, there were at least two buildings in Louisville that were similar, not exactly the same, but but similar in scope and size and, and all that. And a, this was a big company that was obviously doing really good business throughout the Midwest and so had need to build these kinds of huge, I mean, this is like a 70,000 square foot building, um, building these all over the Midwest. Wow. And this was Milwaukee's. So it it had this uh, this company in it that had the plumbing fixtures and whatever else. Mm-hmm. What else was in the building? And then over the years for a while, it was, um, later it was uh, owned by Goiter, Paschke and Fry, which also occupied a bunch of buildings um, on St. Paul, to the east, like where Third Space Brewing is. Um, some of those buildings were part of uh, GPF, which was um, a metalworking and enameling place. So they built things like, you know how like uh, a washing machine is enameled? Mm-hmm. Uh, they would do things like that. Uh, and we've, I think we've talked about them before when we talked about Third Space. Did we talk about Third Space? Yeah, we've talked yeah. about Third Space. Um, Gordon Pashkin Fry basically invented the school lunchbox. Wow! Yeah, out of so, this building. Well, all of their buildings right there. Okay, in that in that, uh, that basically one block square block. Yes, of, this rings a bell Paul. now. Yeah, and and actually, there's a you know if you go on um, eBay, one of the earliest ones they did was a Mickey Mouse one that sells for like thousands of dollars. And you're talking about like the metal one that had the yeah. characters on it. I mean, mm-hmm. yep. the iconic American the school iconic. lunch box yes, was absolutely. created in Milwaukee. That's so fascinating. Isn't that crazy? And really, the Menominee Valley for you know years and years was a real central part of Milwaukee. It was kind of the industrial, the main industrial corridor, correct? Yeah, which makes it kind of amazing that what's going on there now is going on there. I mean, I moved here in 1983, and I used to have to walk across the 16th Street Viaduct all the time. Um, and I would look down, and I'd see, you know, the the cows in the stockyard to the right, <laughs> and I'd see the, the Miller compressing metal recycling magnet crane <laughs> yep. on the left, you know, and it was... Uh, it was not a place you'd want to walk at night for sure. And it was, there was just really nothing alluring about it except from this sort of post-industrial wasteland kind of vibe. Yeah. I mean, um, it was really, it was a great uh, place for band photos. For example, <laughs> you know. um, yeah. I mean, it was pretty empty. 
pretty desolate for a long time. I mean, definitely not a lot of pedestrian traffic, no real bus routes or anything moving through there. It was kind of a place where you would go if you had some 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 business, but you wouldn't just happen upon the Menominee Valley. But that's really changed lately with so many more businesses moving there. I mean, you talk about Third Space, you talk about uh, the architecture studios there. Yep, right next, and then Plum Media is right next yep. to that. Bachman Furniture is just up the street. There's um. There's the BBC Lighting yeah. store there. Sobelman's is there. And some of these businesses have been there for a long time. Sobelman's was, yeah, has was been there, there for a little long longer. Time, right. BBC too. Mm-hmm. But right, but there's more and more of them there and on this strip that, you know, what's interesting is that there's also still industrial stuff there. So that that hasn't completely gone away. There's It's become this really sort of interesting mixed use. The only thing that at the moment that really isn't there is residential stuff. But I could see that. You'd think that would change over time with all the stuff that's going on down there now. And wasn't there a plan recently to to uh, build some new restaurants and, um, you know, access the waterfront there? Because it is right on the Menominee River. Yeah, I think it was last year or the year before the Menominee Valley Partners who really probably own this. You know what I mean? Like a lot of this has happened because of the work they've done over the last 10 or 15 years to draw businesses to the valley um, not just retail businesses, but also there's there's been like nearly like something like a billion dollars in investment in the valley since they've wow. been active, but including industrial stuff. Like there's all kinds of there's um, Zern, which I think is a Swiss uh, water related business. There's an Italian company that's down there. There's a Spanish company that's down there. Palermo's Pizza is down there. Um, there's so much stuff going on down in the valley. So what you were asking about though is. About a year and a half, maybe two years ago, they um, put out some just sort of theoretical renderings of some sorts of de- developments that could happen in the valley mm-hmm. um, to just sort of spark discussion. And, yeah, there were restaurants. I think there was some residential stuff as part of that. Um, and some of that went quite a bit further east, too, almost to, like, the main post office. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to follow, especially if the residential – I mean, it's like it's like the only area of Milwaukee that hasn't seen condos, you know, be developed in it. You wonder if that's coming. You got to figure that's coming, right? Because, I mean, the more of this stuff that happens, the more people are going to want to be close to it. Also inside the building, though, is this this gallery called the the warehouse. Yeah, which is and what I find that sort of funny because, as we were saying earlier, um, a building that's sort of secretive is yet also sort of public-facing in that they welcome the public in for free to, to this gallery um, that generally shows works from the owner's collection. One of the owners is an artist. The other owner is, um, they're married. It's, it's a couple. Um, but they have thousands, their collection of artwork is like thousands and thousands of pieces. Um, so they mount shows in the gallery, um, usually thematic shows. Um, and people are welcome to come to see it. So it's really kind of interesting that there's this kind of really sort of modern, um, free and open to the public, easy to park right out front, <laughs> easy to access gallery that draws people into this building that nobody can talk about. <laughs> yeah, right? It, it definitely adds to that, like, wow, you would never think that that was there, but art gallery and fine art storage mm-hmm. right there in the Menominee Valley. Right. Pretty pretty cool stuff. Well, podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from your membership and from on Milwaukee. You can subscribe to this podcast and all of 88.9's podcasts anywhere you find podcasts and at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts. And while you're there, do please remember to rate and review our podcast. Helps us grow our audience so that even more people can learn about how cool Milwaukee is and all the stuff uh, that we talk about here on Urban Spelunking. It's on Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo. Thanks. Thanks, Nate.